Greetings, friends. It's Stephen Young, Paul Bennett, back with you for another session of the RRUMC podcast as we work our way through this three-episode series on conflict. Uh, not the most cheerful topic, I suppose, but one we, we thought uh, most of our audience would find relevant uh, as it seems inevitable that we're all facing conflict at some point in time in life and often in, in uh, many different arenas at the same time. Uh, when things are, are especially difficult. So we continue this series uh, today by turning to another biblical example of conflict. Um, we're, we're seeking to do so each week, and this week it just so happens to be a passage that is uh, uh, bite-sized. It's small enough that we can read in its entirety for you and uh, clue you in on exactly what's going on this week between Paul and Barnabas. Uh, and uh, Stephen's going to read that passage for us, and we'll dive right into the questions. Hi, everyone. Um, I just want to welcome everyone again to the podcast. So we're reading at Acts chapter 15, uh, verses 36 through 41. And I'm reading from the NIV translation. So Acts 15, 36 through 41. And it says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had, a, and had not continued with them in the work. They had a sharp disagreement that they parted they had a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul took Silas and left and left commanded by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So um, this first question I have um, that we're going to discuss is, how do you go through or how do you go about discerning God's will? So Humdinger there to start us off with, Stephen, thank you for that. Uh, how do you go about discerning God's will? Um, well, first, uh, a few thoughts, you know, kind of set the stage for uh, even being ready to uh, approach that, that topic. Um, first of all, we, we've said conflict is inevitable. Um, humanity is constantly involved in conflict. Uh, but when we start talking God's will, the assumption is that, that uh, the two parties involved in a conflict actually care about God's will. Uh, a lot of conflicts are between individuals who, who don't necessarily uh, consider God an authority figure, their master in life, and so uh, they're debating about something uh, that is their opinion versus somebody else's opinion on, on what's right or what's appropriate. Um, when we're discussing God's will, it, it becomes a, a scenario where it's two people um, who aren't just debating what they think it's best. Uh, they're thinking what, they're debating uh, about what God would uh, say is best in, in this particular situation, and understandably these conflicts can become even more intense uh, than the others that we see in, in secular uh, parties because uh, people are often very passionate about their belief in God and their understanding of, of what God uh, would say is, is right or pro appropriate in a given situation. Uh, this is the scenario that Paul and Barnabas faced uh, even though as uh, Stephen read the passage for us, it may seem on the surface like a, a simple question of, of personnel, who's going to be involved in this uh, missionary journey that they're heading on. 
but uh, any question like that that comes up in the context of a church or, or amongst a body of believers or even two believers who believe that God's will matters uh, becomes uh, automatically a, a much deeper theological question in which we're seeking God's will and, and guidance on the, the topic. And in this case, it's a, a question of who qualifies to be a spiritual leader in a given situation, in, in this case, for this missionary journey that they're about to, to head on. So how do you go about determining, uh, determining God's will? Um, I, I wish there was a clear-cut answer to this um, that we could rely on. Uh, in every scenario, and, and it was really more simple than it was, but than it is, but it's not. It's uh, complex and something we all struggle with. Uh, but to me, the, the obvious first steps uh, that are much more simple than the, the task as a whole uh, involve us consulting God in Himself. If if we want to know what God's will is, obviously we go to the source um, and God Himself. And uh, we, we are so blessed to have these uh, books lying around our houses called Bibles. Uh, mine happens to be, I, I looked it up, 2,375 pages full of God's will uh, for our lives and his plan for us in this world. Um, so the, the first place to go, I think, is to Scripture to, to understand what God's will for something is. Um, here's the problem, though. I think a lot of people may not have a, a regular relationship with God and with Scripture so they go to the Bible, they treat it like some Q&A book, right? Like they can toss out some question. Maybe in the back of the, the Bible, they look up, uh, where do I find uh, answers about hope or about uh, whatever dilemma they're facing? They look it up, they find this little catchphrase, this little factoid telling them uh, what they think is God's will for this situation. The Bible was never intended to be used uh, like that. It's not a Q&A book. Um, it's, a, it's a tool for us to, to equip us to be in a healthier relationship with God. So uh, if we go to the Bible expecting to be able to just pick out a single verse uh, without knowing the larger context of the story as a whole, um, then we're, we're cheating ourselves and, and we're probably not going to come away with the wisdom and the insight on the dilemma that we're in uh, that God intended us to. The Bible is there so that we can grow a, a healthy relationship with the author of the Bible and then use that relationship and uh, the principles that we learn about our world and about our, our role in it and uh, who God desires us to be, um, how he, he calls us to impact the people around us. Uh, we, we gain all of that by reading the Bible in its entirety and applying that to these dilemmas. Uh, so just a uh, important, I think, piece of going to Scripture is understanding that part. Uh, secondly, we, we add to that a devotional life with God uh, himself. We seek God out in prayer um, and whatever spiritual disciplines you use to connect with God. Uh, so we go to God directly. We go to God through his word, which is ultimately going to him directly in a sense as well. And then finally, we, we pursue relationships with other people who are also seeking God in the, the same ways that we are. Um, it's uh, God's intent that we would we would uh, handle the dilemmas that were faced in life in uh, the context of community, that there would be other people around us who have dealt with it first, who have a different insight on this biblical passage, uh, and who can speak to our situation in ways uh, that we understand as humans um, and we can relate to uh, in a powerful way. I kind of look at uh, our, our church communities and uh, the, the resource that they are uh, for these dilemmas and conflicts, almost like a ongoing glorified group therapy session, right? We're supposed to be 
in relationship uh, with God and, and going to our, ther- our therapists, our counselors, individuals, and working out as much as we can. Uh, but at, at times, in fact, at all times, it's healthy to have that other resource of a, a group of folks who are struggling maybe with some of the same things or seeing life in some of the same ways we are. And uh, we can consult them. They can pour into us their wisdom and experiences, and we can learn from those ourselves. Uh, so, you know, discerning God's will, uh, we seek his word. We, we seek him directly through our devotional time. Uh, we supplement with community. And at the end of the day, guess what? We all go about that process. We're still going to disagree on things, you know, at least half the time. But at least if we're, we're going about it this way, we're disagreeing from a much healthier vantage point uh, when we enter into these states of conflict. Any thoughts on uh, discerning God's will, Stephen? Yes, yeah, uh, I agree with everything you're saying, Paul. And I, I, I would also add in just having patience. Um, I think patience and discerning God's will is valuable because so many times um, we all know that God doesn't work on our timelines. So a lot of times it takes patience in order to discern what's God's will for our lives. And that, and as what Paul was saying, it's it's digging in God's word. It's it's having a habit of prayer and and having that patience, um, awaiting the Lord's answer. And I and I believe the Lord always answers um, when we're discerning His will. Um, we also kind of a question that branches off of that is. How do you respond when someone you're in a relationship with differs about God's will in a way that creates conflict between you? And I think um, when it comes to that question, um, the relationship really matters when it comes to conflicts um, because of God's, because when it comes someone believes that they're following God's will and it creates a conflict, a lot of it depends on the relationship. So. Um, take for example if you're in a marriage relationship and if your spouse believes that they are following God's will and it's creating conflict you have to ask yourself is this really God's will or am I pushing my own agenda or my own perspective if it's something that is is large enough um, if it's God's will that's going to incorporate both of you in the relationship um, I, I would advise that you pray that pray to the Lord that his will for you would also be revealed to your spouse um, so that you could go together on whatever God's will is for you as a couple. Because I, I, don't, I don't believe that God um, calls division within marriage. I, don't, I can see God's will being hard for someone to accept over another, um, but I do believe there should be some sort of uh, unity um, that brings God's will um, to fruition with, within a marriage relationship. Um, and, and the same goes for any close relationships, close friendships you may have um, if you're not married. And, and is God's will um, asking yourself, am, am I following God's will? Um, I think you also need to ask, um, is this conflict because of me and my attitude, actions, or words, um, or more than just simply God's will. Maybe the way I'm saying it, maybe the way I'm coming about it um, could be creating this conflict and, and, and even a lack of communication, really communicating what um, God's will is to you. Um, but And that differs from like, we also sometimes know God's will can be different in public. So say God's will for you is to help certain people and, and some people take conflict with that. Well, 
you you believe God has called you to help a certain group of people, and there could be conflict. I mean, Christianity is not um, in any way devoid of conflict. Um, matter of fact, Paul had a lot of conflict in his ministry, like like we're seeing now. But he had conflict with governments and, and other leaders um, because he was following God's will and spreading the mission of the gospel, and it was creating conflict. Um, so Christianity in no ways is hiding from um, conflict that can result of from following God's will. So what, what do you think about that, Paul, that question? Well, the, you know, the implication whenever there's a conflict is that somebody has gone about telling somebody else that they're wrong, you know, that <laughs> yeah. they disagree with them, and yeah. people don't like to be told that they're wrong, right? It just it goes against our, our nature. Oftentimes, people play nice with each other. They, they, they're in healthy relationships, and then uh, all of a sudden somebody finds out the other person disagrees with them on something, and, and everything begins to crumble. Uh, but, uh, you know, God created us to be unique individuals uh, on purpose, right? He, he had a plan for that. Uh, there's a reason no two single people are exactly alike. Um, God knew what he was doing, and he knew that we would disagree. Uh, he knew we would disagree. You know, Adam and Eve would disagree about what the, the, the prettiest wildflower in the Garden of Eden was. Uh, and he knew that we would be disagreeing in 2020 uh, about, you know, how we should serve communion in the 930 worship service. God <laughs> knew that. He intended us uh, to have those experiences because our differences ultimately strengthen our bonds uh, and our, our unity if we handle them in healthy ways. Um, you know, first off, I, I think it's important when we look at disagreements in a, a, a Christian context and in relationships with other uh, believers that there are essentials uh, that God, I think, dictates in, in Scripture um, that we, we need to find common ground on, that, that really we can't, as Christians, by definition, we can't waver on. You know, we, we have to, to agree that Jesus is the only way to salvation. We have to agree that our job, our task is to, to love one another. Um, there's, there's no room for disagreement on whether God is supposed to be the most important thing in our lives, right? These are essentials. Um, if you if you claim to be a Christian, these are things that we can't waver on. Uh, they're, they're very clear uh, cut in Scripture, and uh, I think that we need to expect agreement around these things. But uh, there are opportunities for healthy di- disagreements around anything other than these uh, topics, any of the, the non-essentials. Um, and those obviously creep up all the time. They happen every day in, in churches and communities. Uh, the problem is we, we often poorly equip ourselves to handle these disagreements, and so we're not ready for them when they're, they're thrust upon us. Um, what did Paul and, and Barnabas do when they disagreed? Um, we're kind of reading between the lines here, but clearly they had a conversation about it, right? They created space for each uh, person to share their opinion openly and honestly, and, and I pray lovingly uh, in their disagreement about whether John Mark should be invi- invited along on their journey. Uh, so a healthy disagreement at its very core, at its very core is a, a respectful exchange of opinions. And one of my concerns, you know, gravest concerns for society today is that we no longer seem able to create space for people uh, to have these healthy exchanges of opinions uh, because we're, we're so uptight about people disagreeing with us and wounding our pride by implying that we might be wrong about something. Uh, that we can't go into these safe spaces of healthy 
exchanges of opinions um, with an open mind and, and with respect for the other party. And so what you get really is, is what we're seeing um, in our world today, but particularly in the United States right now with the, the rioting and the protests because um, leadership hasn't created safe spaces for these conversations to, to happen. And uh, many people are feeling like their voices are not being heard on, on this issue of racial injustice, police brutality. And so they are doing what uh, human beings naturally do and, and uh, in many ways um, think they're justified in doing is going to extremes to make sure that their voice is heard because they're feeling ignored. Um, but what church leadership and societal leadership can do to, to avoid these scenarios is to create these safe spaces for people to have these conversations uh, and feel listened to, uh, feel respected, and feel like their, their voice matters. Um, and these, this isn't just the case on large-scale issues. It's, it's the same for individuals. Uh, if you have a disagreement with one other person, you still got to create a safe space instead of just allowing the tension to take over and ugliness uh, create a safe space for that conversation. Sometimes you need a mediator. Uh, sometimes you need help uh, establishing that. Uh, but as Christians, we have to large-scale, small-scale, create those safe spaces for conversation and to do so without Bibles in hand, to do so without bathing the whole process in prayer uh, is foolishness for us as Christians because those are our sources of authority. Those are our life-giving sources uh, that we rely on. So absolutely, we need them to be at the heart of everything that we do uh, in resolving these conflicts. And speaking of you know, the heart of what we do, um, if we don't go into these engagements with hearts of love, then we can easily churn that, that prayer that we're trying to use to um, enlighten us and the, the Bibles that we're trying to use as, as resources, turn them into weapons and, and they end up becoming tools of destruction rather than tools of, of unity. Uh, but, you know, safe space for conversation. Sometimes it takes more than one conversation. Sometimes it takes a million conversations and you still don't have a resolution. And then what do you do if you're in a relationship with somebody, you can't find that resolution, then it's up to each individual uh, to discern maybe what a, a new understanding of unity with that under, other individual might look like. Uh, for Paul and Barnabas, I, I don't think it meant that they ceased being brothers in Christ. And it may be that after this journey, they came back and they worshiped together again. They continued to serve the people together. Just so happened that this you know, facet of their faith journey they decided to do simultaneously uh, but separately and the same may end up being the case for us with our brothers and sisters in Christ we may discern at the end of the day because of disagreements around some non-essentials that we're especially passionate about that we may be able to worship with somebody but we can't necessarily be in a small group with them or we may be able to serve alongside them but we can't worship with them because of our, our differences it's not god's desire for us um, but it's it's reality at times and I, I think we constantly keep working at it too just like i hope paul and barnabas got together after their journeys and revisited this and said okay we, where are we at with this what should we have done differently what can we do differently moving forward. So there's hope in the midst of this. It can get ugly, um, but I think, you know, God can uh, can bless our, our uh, endeavors to find unity, even with some separation in the midst of it. So our next question is a humdinger um, that, you know, Stephen and I are both anxious to, to dive into, but it's, it's simply this. What example uh, or personal experience can you share of conflict 
in a church setting. You know, so there's so many, so many to choose from, right? Steve? Yeah. So many out there floating around. Yeah, I'm trying to right now. I'm still trying to figure out what a humdinger is, but a humdinger. It's <laughs> part of Paul, Pastor Paul's vocabulary. Pastor Paul, yeah. Nobody else is aware. Uh, humdinger. So, um, but yeah, I think um, I don't. When it comes to this question, I mean, there's a lot of things that I've experienced. So at the church I was at before this, we had a lot of pastoral changes, um, three pastors in about four years, so that the church obviously had a lot of conflict going on. And the conflicts are wide-ranging. You can see issues of service times and Sunday school, topics on Sunday school and conflicts in order order of service. And um, the problem is, the problem is many issues became personal and the conflicts um, we would take out on the character of other persons and um, that's obviously within a church is going way too far Um, and I have seen conflicts in churches that lead to many people leaving and never coming back Um, and that and that's hard because it puts a lot of stress on the body of Christ when we allow some issues that are not worth leaving for uh, really weakens the whole mission of the church as a whole um and uh and i and as paul said i i understand as we even read in this in this passage um that conflict within uh, the christian body happens and and sometimes it's unavoidable um but whenever this conflict happens um i think it's always important to um to make sure that the main things stay the main things that it's it's loving the lord and loving your neighbor as yourself and and then working through and whatever conflicts you may have within the church um, and keeping those main things the main things. So, what, Paul, do you have a personal example that you have there? You not Nothing with me, though, right? Oh, no, we're no. good, we're good. Yeah, okay. well, we, we covered that earlier before we turned <laughs> yeah. the mic on. Right? Yeah. yeah, there's plenty of those. <laughs> so, yeah, my, my humdinger, Stephen. Is, uh, <laughs> um, no, really, it, it, in uh, a, a previous church that I served, you know, the one that popped into my head it, that was, um, you know, probably not uh, unusual in its in its nature uh, for, for church conflicts, uh, but there uh, was a, a rummage sale of sorts that the church sponsored every year, and it was important uh, for a number of reasons, raising funds for different things for the church and, and uh, other uh, service opportunities we were engaged in. And one of the rules of the rummage sale was that uh, no individual could have access to the, the items we were trying to sell before the, the rummage sale. Everybody had to follow the same protocol, right? They had to go through the same process to be able to purchase things. Uh, nobody could get um, first dibs, you know, uh, to, to come in and, and pick out stuff ahead of time. Or all of those items were, were intended to be used uh, within the system of the rummage sale there was a, a family in our community at the time that had a, a house fire and so suddenly they were uh, looking uh, for um, having their basic needs met and no other place to churn and we happened to have a church full of uh, good stuff that we were looking to sell as part of this rummage sale and uh, you know in my opinion I thought this uh, um, warranted uh, a diversion from the the rules of the rummage sale we should allow this person not just to have access to some of these things but uh, this family to to just have some of these items for free uh, to meet their needs at the time but there was another individual in the church who was trying to maintain the integrity of the rummage sale and uh, saw it as uh, making one exception would lead to another exception to another exception 
that there are other ways maybe perhaps to meet the needs of this family. And so, you know, just a very, I think, typical disagreement around uh, things that are sacred to different people or, or different um, perspectives on, on an issue. Uh, but these are the things that creep up in churches all the time. And, and Stephen already, I think, helped us transition into our next question in, in resolving these issues. How does God call us to maintain an experience of unity when there are these disagreements happening in, in our churches all the time? And I think we can still experience unity uh, with people that we disagree on the non-essentials with. Uh, it can absolutely happen. Um, I think one of the things you have to ask yourself is, is what is essential to you? What are the deal breakers? Uh, can you coexist in a church family with somebody you disagree on? Or maybe the church as a whole has a stance that you disagree on. Maybe there's 20 people in your church and you're one of two people who uh, disagree about the church's stance on infant baptism. Is that a deal breaker for you? Is that considered essential in your mind such that you can't uh, worship in that church or be part of that church family um, having that difference in opinion with the church? Or maybe not with the church, but with other individuals in the church. It's you know each of these on a case-by-case basis. Reality is you know nobody, unless you have a church of one, which kind of defeats the purpose, right? You're never going to find a church uh, in which everybody in the church and the church uh, as a whole, their stances agree completely with, with everything you happen to believe about your faith. Um, but we doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that we have to create a new denomination or a new church every time we, we have a disagreement. Uh, I'll share just one, one example of a house church or an organic type church um, experience that a friend of mine was involved in once. Uh, one of the things they did was they created space, it was either once a month or once a quarter, um, where they would have intentional conversation around some of the non-essentials. Uh, so if you happen to be one of those two people that disagreed about the church's stance on baptism, uh, every quarter you would have opportunity to bring the topic up and uh, with the other 20 people in the church uh, sit and have a conversation about um uh, baptism, share your stance on it, share your heart, uh, have scripture open in front of you and, and share your interpretation of those passages. Other people can offer theirs back. And you have these these honest, open, uh, loving, respectful conversations around something you disagree on. At the end of the day, you know, you might walk out of that space and nothing changes. The church doesn't change its stance. Maybe nobody in the room changed their stance. Maybe one or two people did. Um, but at least you created space for that open, honest dialogue around these, uh, these difficult issues. Um, but, you know, we're not always going to find resolution. And so people have to make a, a decision at the end of the day what's essential, um, who they can be in, in unity with in that, that pure sense, and, and who they need to create separation uh, with on some level, but still be united as brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, and I, I think, yeah, going along with all that Paul said again, he he was right on the money there. He, he has a lot of good humdingers today. So. <laughs> We're up to two, right? You'll have to look that up yeah. afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, uh, yeah, going off what Paul said, what unites us should be deeper than anything that, um, that we may disagree about. Um, I think um, disagreements shouldn't be on the core level. It should be more on the surface issues, it, it's important, especially in a church, that 
um, that we're rooted, that our unity is rooted much deeper than our disagreements. So then, so then we're able to walk through much more, and you're able to even um, compromise on much more if you have um, unity that's deeply rooted. Um, and this is what Paul and Barnabas did. Um, they disagreed on who to take on the missionary journey, um, but they didn't disagree on the need to have missionary journeys. So um, they they may have disagreed on what specific people they wanted in their and their group or posse, I guess. <laughs> um, but they but they continue to spread the gospel, and they and they spread it maybe even further um, than they would if they were all together. Um, so within the church, uh, we must have a deep-rooted sense of unity that transcends um, the dis the, the disagreements we may have, and, and we're going to have disagreements. That's just part of it's part of um, human relationships, and and a lot of times, as I think Paul mentioned earlier disagreements um, can be a good thing because um, we want to have people in a church that have different visions, that have different perspectives. I, like, I don't want to be in a church full of full of Pauls or... Yeah, I don't want to be in a church full of Stevens. Like, I, I, need, I need everyone's perspective. And, and sometimes we're going to disagree. Sometimes I won't agree with something that Paul says on a th- on an issue but it does if, if it, but it does help me see like okay now I see where you're coming from maybe we need to make adjustments you see or oh I see where you're coming from maybe you're right maybe we should get rid of that aspect of it so like when you have those disagreements you're able to work together and actually form I think Paul said this earlier too form tighter bonds um, together so so we can't see every disagreement within the church as as something that's going to completely crumble the church. We should see all the disagreements in the church as perhaps opportunities um, to grow even deeper together and to make an even stronger um, appeal for the gospel. So um, so disagreements in the ministry doesn't have to be um, crushing. So, um, But yeah, I, I really enjoyed um, this discussion with Paul and I disagree Steve. Oh yeah <laughs> there you go. So we're gonna <laughs> we'll talk about this later afterwards. Um, but yeah we again we both want to I don't Paul I don't think Paul disagrees on we want to thank everybody for <laughs> for listening to these podcasts and we've really enjoyed doing them and, and we plan to continue to do them um, for the foreseeable future. <laughs> um, and uh, just to remind everyone that we're still streaming services at 1145. 1130. 1130. 1130. Remember, 1130, not 1145. <laughs> so um, still streaming services. And uh, really, again, we want to thank everyone who's been watching those and um, those services. And, and we are looking forward to um, getting together real soon and um, as we await waiting through this virus and i hope people are still growing and strengthening in their faith um, there at home so thank you for listening and um, take care